The following audio is from City Rev Church. For more information about City Rev Church, visit us online at cityrev.org. I remember the first time that I heard Johnny Swim. It's a band. Anybody know, heard this band before? A few of you? Anybody? Couple? Okay. Anybody at Cooper City? Woo! Okay, I pretend I heard you. Um, I was in college. Uh, and uh, I remember my friend Nick, he had posted about this band. It's this husband-wife duet. Uh, they write songs. They have this amazing sound with beautiful harmonies. And the, the song lyrics that they write are, are moving and stirring. I remember as soon as I heard them, I started telling everybody I could find, you've got to listen to this band. I kind of felt like I was being brought in on the ground level before they kind of went mainstream a little bit. And so I'm like telling this person that I'm pretty sure my sister, who got married a few months later, she used one of their songs as her wedding song. And because she got married before I did, she beat me to the punch in being able to use the song. So I take credit for that. But I remember telling all sorts of people about this band. Uh, I also remember the first time that I had real... Texas barbecue, like the real thing, okay? Some of you, if you've been to Texas and you've had Texas barbecue, it just puts everything else in perspective, okay? Uh, If you have not had, that's controversial in some rooms. If some people came from like North Carolina or Memphis or different parts of the country, I'm sorry, I'm just gonna come out and say it. There's no barbecue like Texas barbecue. And I remember I was in Arlington, Texas, visiting some family and we were just a few blocks from where the Dallas Cowboys play football and we ate at Hurtado Barbecue. Come on, okay? This place just rocked my world. It was amazing. My taste buds experienced something they had never experienced in all of my life. And immediately, my reflex was anybody and everybody that I knew was in Texas or would be traveling through Texas or to Texas, I'd say, listen, you've got to go to Arlington to go to this barbecue spot. And even if they're from different parts, okay, at least like experience good, authentic Texas barbecue. Not like the kind of stuff that's, you know, you go in and an electric cooker makes your, but that's not real barbecue. Okay, you got to go where they have the huge smoker out there, smoke coming out of the stack, only wood fire. You've got to experience it for yourself. And so I became like this messenger. You've got to, you've got to taste this. You've got to experience this. Now, for you, it might be something different, but we've all had that moment in our life when we discovered something for the first time, and it's like, why haven't I had this all of my life? And we start telling everybody about it. It's like this reflex, it's an instinct. It's not something that we had to even consciously decide to do, it's just something that naturally flowed from us. Uh, In his book, Reflection on the Psalms, Reflections on the Psalms, C.S. Lewis, he talks about praise. And he defines praise and elaborates on this feature of human existence that we almost just naturally, when we enjoy something, we can't help but praise that thing and invite others to praise it along with us. So you hear a new song, you see a a, a new building that captivates you, you see a, a piece of art, you share it, you watch a funny YouTube video, you post it. We have this reflex or impulse to share that which we enjoy and sharing it actually helps complete the enjoyment of it. Something that we do. Over the past several weeks, we have been talking about the topic of sharing our faith. 
We've been having a conversation about what it looks like to live on mission here in our city. And what I wanna do as we look at John chapter one is I wanna frame sharing your faith in a similar way to the way you think about sharing something you've experienced and enjoyed that just outflowing from within you, you just can't help but say, hey, you have to experience this. And so what I wanna do is I wanna give us kind of the punchline for today. If you're taking notes, writing things down, write this down. We're talking about evangelism. It's a big, fancy word that we only use in church context, but evangelism, I wanna frame evangelism, sharing your faith in this way from John chapter one. Evangelism is inviting others to experience the joy you found in Jesus. Evangelism as invitation. Evangelism, sharing your faith, is inviting someone to experience the joy that you found in Jesus. And so that's what's gonna guide our time today. There's a story that demonstrates this and, and, and captures this so powerfully in John chapter one. Look with me, starting in verse 43, my prayer is that this is gonna help free us for some of us that are so intimidated, even hearing the word evangelism sends off all sorts of difficult images or memories from our past or hard conversations or like debate conflict style conversation. That's not what we're getting at today. Look at what uh, the story says here in John chapter one, starting in verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and he said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Up to this point, let me cap catch us up to where we're at in the story. John starts his gospel, his account of the life of Jesus with a prologue. And he basically lays out the primary themes that are going to unfold throughout the rest of the book. And right after that, we're introduced to this other figure named John, who's out baptizing people in the wilderness in Bethany. And John, he's baptizing people and crowds are coming to him. And John starts bearing witness saying, hey, there's someone who's coming. I'm not even worthy to unstrap his sandals. The work of a menial servant, I'm not even worthy to do that for this great one who's coming. John is speaking about the coming Messiah. And so crowds start gathering. People start asking questions. You know, who's this guy, John? Why is he baptizing people in the Jordan River? What's going on? And as the story unfolds, John sees Jesus out in the distance and he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And Jesus gets baptized by John and is anointed by the Holy Spirit. He uh, has the Spirit of God descend upon him to prepare him and equip him for the work and ministry that God had set Jesus out to do. And then Jesus starts calling disciples. He finds these individuals, these two individuals. Andrew's one of them. We're not told the name of the other, but he says, hey, I want you to follow me. They start following him. Andrew tells his brother, whose name is Simon, He's like, Simon, you've got to hear about this guy named Jesus, the one that, that our ancestors have been waiting for, the Messiah. He's here. Come see him, Peter. And Simon is brought over to Jesus, and he's renamed Peter by Jesus. We're told about this encounter. This is just something that Jesus does. He just says, yeah, you're not Simon anymore. You're Peter now. And so he renames Peter. And then the story continues here in verse 43, where we're tracking with the life of this man named Philip. 
Now, a couple of weeks ago, we read in the book of Acts a story about a guy named Philip who encountered an Ethiopian eunuch. This is a different story, different Philip, not the same guy. So there's two Philips in the New Testament. This is a different Philip who ends up becoming one of Jesus's 12 disciples. Jesus says to Philip, follow me. Philip follows after Jesus. And then we're told that Philip goes and finds Nathanael. Now we can deduce from this, very likely Philip had some prior relationship with Nathanael, but he goes and he says, hey, Nathanael, we found him. The one that Moses in the law, the one that the prophets spoke about, we found him. It's Jesus of Nazareth. He's come. Now, Philip here, he's describing Jesus in ways that Nathanael would completely understand exactly who he's talking about. He's in essence saying, the one that we found is the Messiah. In fact, if you want to know what the whole story of the Bible is about, Old Testament, New Testament, it's the story, the unfolding story of God promising to bring a deliverer, a Messiah. And it's these promises that build this anticipation of a coming rescuer, an anointed one, who's going to come and do for God's people what they completely failed to do for themselves. So God promises this king of the line of David who's going to come and redeem his people. And in this time period here in the first century AD, the Jewish people have this rising, bubbling up expectation and anticipation for a Messiah. They so desperately want a Messiah, a rescuer to come, God's anointed one. And Philip tells Nathaniel, the one we've been waiting for, the one that thousands of years Moses wrote about, the one that the prophet spoke of, he's here, I've met him. It's Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now notice here the reflex. Notice the progression. Philip is called by Jesus to follow after him and it's like this reflex in Philip. I've gotta tell somebody. Nathaniel, I've found the one. Listen, you've got to meet him. It's Jesus. It's not forced. It's not this thing that's like, okay, well, I best. It's just instinctual. He meets Jesus. And he goes and he finds Nathaniel and he says, listen, Nathaniel, we found the one. Look at how the story continues. Philip's all hype. He's excited. He's telling his boy, Nathaniel, you've got to see and meet this Jesus and watch Nathaniel's not so excited response. Verse 46. Nathanael said to Philip, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. Let's recap what we just read. Nathaniel, he hears Philip all excited about this Jesus of Nazareth. And Nathaniel responds to Philip's excitement with a skeptical question. Wait a minute, time out. You said Nazareth? 
Now, for some context, Nazareth in this time period is this small little podunk village. The best guess historians can make is that at this time period, maybe two to 500 people live in this tiny little village. And here he's saying, Philip's claiming the Messiah, the king that has come to rescue us. Yeah, it's this Jesus guy from Nazareth. I've tried to like think through what would be like a modern version of that that we could relate to. I just recently this past weekend, we traveled up to Lakeland to celebrate Thanksgiving and you pass through, if you go up US 27, you pass through all sorts of towns that are very tiny, very small. You know, imagine for a moment with me, if you heard me say, hey, I've found the great king that's been promised from of old. It's Billy from Clewiston, okay? He's, he's here, you've gotta meet him. Or okay, if you don't know what Clueiston is, it's just like an hour and a half up, there's like a Walmart there and a few, it's actually a, a big town compared to what's out there. But anyways, imagine, this is a small, unheard of town. You're saying Nazareth, Jesus, you're, you're telling me the king has come from Nazareth and then watch Philip's response. Philip's response I think is so instructive for us. This uh, Nathaniel, he has some preconceived ideas about God and about who the Messiah would be that made him skeptical the moment he heard about Jesus. I think there's many of us that can relate to Nathaniel or who or have met people who are like Nathaniel. They're skeptical. You, you start telling them about Jesus and they're like, wait a minute, come, come on. You, are you serious? You really believe that? I mean, there's just no way. That's where Nathaniel's at, and Philip, his response to Nathaniel, so simple, so profound. Just come and see. You, you've got to meet him. Philip doesn't even answer his question. Oh, don't know Nazareth. I know he lived there for a while, but he was born in Bethlehem. Remember the prophecy, Micah, right? He's going to come from. You know, he doesn't do that. He just says, "Listen, you just got to come and meet him. Come and see." And so Philip ends up going, and he sees Jesus, and Jesus' words to Philip or excuse me, to Nathaniel, the moment that he sees him are, ah, behold, an Israelite in whom there's no deceit, an honest man. Now that's a loaded phrase. And Nathaniel hears that and is like, wait a minute, how do you even know me? I had this experience a couple of years ago when I went to my high school reunion and I remember someone talking to me about what was going on in my life. And I hadn't seen this person in a long time, hadn't talked to them in a long time. And they're like, oh, you know, how's this and that going and that? And I'm like, how do you even know me? Like, what's, what's going on, right? Uh, and here, Philip, in an age before social media, people can keep tabs on your life on Facebook and other venues. Nathaniel hears Jesus talking to him about how he's a man in whom there's no deceit. And Nathaniel's like, how do you even know me? And then Jesus responds by saying this. He says, I saw you when you were under the fig tree. He said, I saw you when you were under the fig tree. Nathaniel hears this, and I can just imagine and envision he breaks down. And he responds to Jesus' simple statement of him seeing him under the fig tree, and he says, Rabbi, truly you are the Son of God and the King of Israel. He's blown away. And Jesus says, basically, my translation, if you think that's impressive, you ain't seen nothing yet. And then he alludes to a moment in the life of their ancestor, Jacob, the man whom God renamed Israel, a moment when Jacob is in this place called Bethel, 
And Jesus alludes to this moment in the life of Jacob when Jacob has this vision of angels ascending and and descending at this place. Uh, Jacob has a vision of a ladder and Jesus says, listen, you're gonna see the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man, referring to himself. Jesus is saying, I'm the bridge between heaven and earth. The presence of God is now made accessible right here on earth as it is in heaven through me and what I'm going to do. You haven't seen anything yet, Nathaniel. And Nathaniel's entire life has changed. So here in this story, if you're a close reader and you're just asking questions of the passage, maybe you would ask the question that I asked when I read this passage, what on earth was going on under that fig tree? What was it that was happening in Nathaniel's life that was so significant that all Jesus had to do was say, hey, I saw you when you were under the fig tree. And then basically two sentences go by and he goes from skeptic, can anything good come from Nazareth? To, oh my, Rabbi, you are the son of God. What, what would have happened under that fig tree? I, I don't know, we, don't, we can conjecture, we can guess. We can try and imagine, but here's what we can conclude with some certainty. Whatever was going on under that fig tree was deeply personal to Nathaniel. Whatever was happening under that fig tree, there's no way that this man, Jesus of Nazareth, could have known what was happening in his heart and in his mind in that moment. And in that moment, perhaps a low moment, perhaps one of those valley breaking point moments, maybe he's crying out to God, calling out to God, And in that moment, Jesus says, I saw you when you were there. When you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And Nathaniel's life is changed completely. And so what do we learn from this story, from this passage? And in particular, what do we learn from Philip's small little phrase to a skeptical Nathaniel, come and see? I want to share three important perspectives on on evangelism and sharing our faith from this passage that really are anchored to the way in which Philip shared his faith with Nathaniel. Here's the first, write this down, is that come and see is about inviting, not imposing. Come and see means that Philip was there to invite, not impose. I think many of us have fallen prisoner to our cultural, cultural perspective in this moment that views anybody sharing their beliefs as imposing something on someone. In fact, in our culture, it's seen as this horrific, heretical thing for you to share what you believe with someone else. How dare you impose what you think on me? I'm gonna believe my truth, you stick to believing your truth, but don't you dare try and impose your truth on me. And the great irony and twist of our day, the great contradiction in our day, is that imposing that view is apparently okay. It's okay for me to to impose the view that you shouldn't impose your beliefs on me. That itself is okay. But here, what's happening when he says, come and see, you see, Philip's not imposing anything on him. He's inviting him. Uh, When Amy and I, when we got married, Uh, When we were doing our wedding plans and getting ready for the wedding, there was this part of the wedding preparation that if you have gone through, if you're married, you've experienced this, you have to write out the invitation list. You know what I'm talking about? That is stressful, all right? Who's in and who's out? I mean, let's be real. 
All right, no, I can't invite them because if I invite them, that opens up a whole web of people and then they're going to be upset that they didn't get there. And it's like impossible to do it without upsetting someone, but we, we did that. And we call them wedding invitations, right? We don't call them wedding threats. <laughs> we don't sit down and make a list. Who am I going to threaten that I have to impose upon their calendar to be there at my wedding? You must come. No. I'm inviting someone in. I'm not imposing on anyone. I'm having this moment where I say to the person I love, I want to be with them forever. I'd love for you to be there. I have this joy, and I'd love for you to share in it. You see, evangelism, sharing your faith, it's not imposing your view on someone. It's not you coming with a club. You must, right? It's not forceful. It's not coercion. You can't coerce someone into the kingdom of God. It's invitation. It's inviting. It's saying, I've experienced this joy, and I'd love for you to experience it as well. You know, in a room like this, while we were singing, and I bet at Cooper City the same, I bet there's some of us that if we're honest, we look at a room while we're singing in worship, and there are some of us that we have this moment where we're eyes closed, hands raised, or we're getting emotional, like just personally singing a moment ago. I was tears filling my eyes thinking about what Jesus has done for me. And then there's others of us that we're more quiet, reflective in our experience of worship, but we're engaged and we're wowed and awestruck by God. But there are some of us that we just don't get it. I, I have no idea what's going on. Well, this person, they're closing their eyes. What are they doing? Taking a nap? Are they like confused? What's going on? Well, what's happening in this person right now? And here's what's happening. That person is singing and praising their savior and with joy just flooding and bubbling up over, over the top, spilling out in this impassioned response, the affections of our hearts being stirred by our Savior and what he's done for us and who he is. We can't help but just engage with him and think about him and praise him for all that he's done. And so what we want for those who don't yet know Jesus, what we want for those who are maybe on the outside looking in and just like wondering, I don't get it, I don't see it. What we want is not to impose something on you. We want to invite you into the joy we've experienced, the joy that we found in him. This is what Philip is doing. He's saying, Nathaniel, come and see. The second thing that this passage instructs us when it comes to evangelism, this phrase, come and see, number two, write this down, is that come and see is more delight than duty. It's more delight than duty. Now, don't, don't make a mistake. We are commanded by Jesus, if you're a follower of his, to share your faith. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and think about making disciples. No, that's not what he said. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. That is a command from our Lord. We have a duty to tell people about Jesus. But sharing our faith, evangelism, is far more delight than it is duty. Yes, it's a command to be obeyed, but it's a joy to go and share what I've experienced. It wasn't work for me to share this band that I discovered that's so moving and so stirring. It wasn't work for me to, and duty to say, hey, you've got to try out this restaurant. No, it's delight. Come and see is about delight. I remember traveling 
with Amy to Colorado to celebrate our anniversary several years back, and we went horseback riding uh, on the mountains of the uh, Rockies. We were right by the Continental Divide, and there was this cowboy who led us. I have no other way of describing him other than he's like a real cowboy. I met a real cowboy. And I remember writing behind him, he's teaching us about horses and he's explaining to yeah, what he does and what his life is like. And man, that guy was working there. And the moment he was guiding us through these just majestic mountains, we were seeing the most beautiful sights you can imagine. And that guy, it was his duty to show us around and teach us about horses. And it was his duty to go ahead and lead us through the path and the trail. But man, it was more his delight than duty. When it comes to sharing our faith, when we have this come and see mentality, when we experience joy in Jesus, it's, it's far more delight. You just have to meet him, Nathaniel. I know you, you can't fathom it right now. I know your head, I know, Nazareth, two to 500 people, some strange people in Nazareth. I get it, but you just have to come and see. You have to meet him. It's more about delight than it is duty. It's not drudgery. It's not out of guilt. I think for some of us, the thing that keeps us back from sharing our faith is we have this like sense of, oh, like I just, I've got, I've got, I know I'm supposed to tell. I know I'm, oh gosh, I have to tell. I have to invite this person and no. And if you find yourself in that place, that might be a cue to search your heart and have this moment where you ask God to search, search your heart and say, God, where's my joy? Why is this drudgery right now? And listen, this is not to condemn you if you're in that place. Like all of us, we get to that moment. We all walk through life and we have these seasons where it's, it's hard. Would you ask God, God, why, why is this more duty than delight right now to tell people about my Jesus? Why is it hard for me? Here's the third, write this down. Come and see, number three, rests on Jesus's power, not on my persuasiveness. Come and see. Philip brings Nathanael over to Jesus. And did you notice, Jesus does all the heavy lifting. Uh, Philip in this moment, he really doesn't do much other than say, let me just come. Like, here's Jesus, you need to meet him. And Jesus speaks with knowledge that only God can have. And it touches down deep into Nathaniel's soul. And he recognizes a light bulb comes on in his heart. He realizes he's standing before the Son of God. You see, uh, we're called, again, just like it is our duty to share our faith. We're commanded to do that. In the same way, we are called to give a defense and be prepared to give a defense for the reason we have hope. It's good to have, like, I know there's some of us really passionate about apologetics and defending the faith. That's wonderful and beautiful to have a conviction about why you believe what you believe and be able to share the reason you have that hope in you. But at the end of the day, no argument, no debate, even if you prove them clearly wrong and yourself clearly right, that's not going to get them in the kingdom. The enemy, the devil, he knows very clearly who Jesus is. He knows who he is. He knows his identity. He's got the facts straight. He's not in the kingdom. And so when it comes to sharing our faith, our trust, what we rest upon is on Jesus's power, not on our persuasiveness. That what this person who's far from God, who maybe is spiritually seeking or like Nathaniel, they're skeptical. What they need is an encounter with Jesus. 
And God can use our persuasiveness. God can use our, our witness and explaining them and talking to them about Jesus, but let's not lose sight of or get sidetracked down rabbit trails or debates about this thing or that thing or this cultural thing or that thing, but instead let's put our eyes on Jesus and say, hey, well, let me just share with you who Jesus is. I wanna invite you to just start talking to Jesus, ask him, speaking to him. I wanna invite you, read the Bible with me. Let's, let's read through John together. Let's look at Jesus. Let's look at his life, what he taught, what he said about himself. It rests on Jesus's power, not on our persuasiveness. This ought to free many of us. I think one of the reasons some of us don't share our faith all that often is because we feel like we don't know what to say. We feel like they're gonna ask questions we're not gonna know the answer to, or they're gonna have you know, some, something to say we can't even respond to, and yes, that's probably the case. And helpful answers are good. Like doing some study and giving good responses. Yeah, why is there evil in the world? Having a response to that, yes, that's good. We should. But at the end of the day, what that person needs is an encounter with Jesus. And to that end, we pray for, and we keep our attention and our words and our conversation focused there. Well, let me tell you about what Jesus has done in my life. And what we pray for and what we trust is that they're gonna have a moment, just like Nathaniel did, where Jesus says, when you were at your low place, I saw you. They're gonna have a moment when God shows up in a way they can't explain, in a way that's just God revealing himself to them. They're gonna have a moment where the gospel, the good news of Jesus, it becomes personal. It's not just news about this man named Jesus who came and he died on the cross and he rose from the dead, but it's about Jesus who died for me on the cross. That my sin is what was laid on the cross that it was my guilt he took away on that cross. Uh, my shame he bore on that cross. And he loved me and he gave himself for me. And that moment comes where God shows up and gives them eyes to see. And so our task is simply come and see. Come and see Jesus. Come and see this one who has changed us all together. You know, we're entering into a season of the year where we may have more opportunities than any other season to be having conversations about Jesus. Uh, Christmas time is, is an amazing time. It is the most wonderful time of the year. And through this season, may we as God's people not miss out on the opportunity it presents us to be talking to people and sharing with people how they can come and see Jesus, the one that Christmas points to the one that it's all about. And so I wanna just very practically conclude our time together with three practical ways that we can invite people to come and see Jesus this Christmas season. The first one, very simply, is through prayer, specifically through intercession. What would it look like for this Christmas season for you to look for opportunities and ways at your workplace, in your neighborhood, uh, in your classroom, for you to find ways to be praying for the people in your life? One of the most powerful things we can do for someone is as they're sharing their struggle, say, hey, I'd love to pray for you. Can I pray with you? 
I love what one woman in our church does. Pastor Josh was telling me about this woman who serves on our worship team that leads a, an exercise class, and she has this little prayer jar out there for any one of her clients who wants to uh, share a prayer request. They could drop a prayer request off there, a little note card, and it's her uh, encouragement. Hey, I'm going to be praying for you throughout this week. What does that do? That opens up, first of all, opportunities for answered prayer. Imagine what happens in a person's life when someone says, hey, I'll pray for you. I've got this I'm going through, and God answers that prayer. Imagine the conversation the next time they go to their fitness class. Hey, you've got to hear what happened. You, you prayed, and this happened. Be watchful in prayer. Expect God to answer those prayers and see how you use that. But not only that, even if the answer to prayer takes a long time and doesn't come immediately, just the simple gesture, hey, I have a relationship with God. I go to him with burdens and needs, and I'd love to bring your burdens before my God. That opens up conversations, opens up opportunities for us to say, hey, come and see this Jesus who's changed my life. The second way that we can do this very practically this Christmas season is to practice hospitality. Practice hospitality. Hospitality, put simply, is reflecting the posture of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Where God said, hey, I'm welcoming and inviting you in, though you are far from me, though you are flawed, though you are imperfect people, though you have sin in your life, you're welcome at my table. I'm going to invite you in and accept you into my presence because of the work of my son, Jesus. How can we this Christmas season practice hospitality with a coworker, a neighbor, invite them over for dinner, have them and their family come over for lunch on a Saturday and hang out. How can you practice that welcoming presence? And then what you do when you're in, in your home, it's not like, okay, now I've got them cornered, okay? And I got my Bible out, my three-point sermon ready. All right, turn to John chapter three. That's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> I'm talking about inviting someone into your home, getting to know them, asking questions, hearing their story, listening and authentically living out your faith with them there. You don't need to be someone different because they're not a believer and they're in the room. You can still pray over your, your meal. You can still talk about what God is doing in your life. It doesn't have to be forced or coerced. It could be natural. And in the context of relationship, be watchful. God, how are you opening up an opportunity? Practice hospitality. It might be the most Christmassy thing we can do this Christmas season as we think about and get ready to celebrate the God who came down and welcomed us in. To do that third, the third practical thing we can do is to invite someone with you to church this Christmas season. There's just something powerful that happens. Listen, uh, there's some people that they'll say, hey, I'll, I'll pass on an invitation to church. But there's lots of people who will say, oh sure, what time? And they'll actually come. In fact, there are many people in this room and at Cooper City that someone first invited you to a church, maybe like ours or maybe our, our church, City Rev, and their invitation to you is the way in which you started seeking and coming to see who Jesus is. An invitation. All throughout the Christmas season, we have simple and creative tools to help you invite the people in your life into the body of Christ. The powerful thing about inviting someone to church and bringing them with you is now when they're brought into the body of Christ, in addition to having a relationship with you, now there's people who have different stories, different giftings, different personalities, that now they're brought into the body of Christ and the whole church can minister to them. 
Everybody with their unique gifts, them being even as of someone who's far from God, who maybe is just for the first time asking questions about God. And so we're going all out in the Christmas season, coming up with creative ways, silly ways, fun ways to give us tools in our neighborhoods, with our coworkers, our family members, that we want them to know Jesus. We want them to experience the joy we found in Jesus. And so we're gonna give so many different ways. My encouragement to you is that when you have those opportunities and conversations and it feels overwhelming, remember, I'm not imposing. I'm not coercing someone. I'm not threatening someone. I'm giving an invitation to someone I care about, someone that I want to experience the joy that I've found in him. Be watchful and look for ways to be inviting this Christmas season. And a corollary to that is corporately as a church, that means that we need to be ready for when the new person comes. One of the beautiful things about City Rev is all the time there are new faces coming in through here that have never been before or coming for the second time. And they're somewhat unsure. They're asking questions like, will I find a place here to connect? Will anybody notice me? They'll be asking the question, God, are you even here? Do you even see me? Do you care? And we as the body of Christ get to answer those questions with love, acceptance, by listening, by seeing the people around us and engaging. And so we as a church, this Christmas season and beyond, we need to be ready when someone's coming and they're new and they've got the face, we're like, okay, I don't know where to go or am I in the right place? Or you get here a few minutes early, like great believers in Jesus do. They get here early, right, on time, South Florida, Cuban time style, right? We get here early enough to be able to talk to people. That's just what we do around here, you know? And and you get here and you have the opportunity, you're just sitting there at your table or your chair. You could, I guess, just like flip through your phone or you could just say, hey, um, I'm Justin, what's your name? Oh, how, how long have you been at City Rev? Oh, this is your first time, oh, well, glad you're here. I've been coming for this many years. This is, my, this is my family, would love for you to meet them. Let's be a church that when that person receives the invitation to come, what they experience is a friendly welcome that reflects the friendly welcome of our Savior. May we preach the gospel with our words and our actions, inviting people to come and see this Jesus. But there are some of us who are here watching online and at Cooper City. There are some of us that may be more like Nathaniel than we are like Philip. And maybe you've heard about Jesus and you, like Nathaniel, have your own version of, can anything good come from Nazareth? You can't be serious. There's just no way. And it's my prayer and my hope that you would have a moment, maybe even today, when God reveals himself to you and there's a moment when you realize when I was in my bed and I was crying out, feeling like I was at the end of myself, that God would just whisper to your heart, I saw you. That those of you who are here, when you were going through that trial, that difficulty, when you had that loss in your family, that you just hear the whisper from your father, when you were there, I saw you. That those of you who you received a a, a diagnosis that was scary and intimidating and overwhelming, that you'd hear the whisper of your father say, I saw you. 
I love you. I'm with you. And that God would do this work in our hearts where we'd realize he's closer than we could have ever imagined. He's near. God so loved the world that he gave his only, only begotten son so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God sent Jesus into the world, the Messiah. And my invitation to you is just come and see him. Come to him with your burdens, your worries, your guilt, your shame, your sin. He died on the cross. He took your punishment. He took your place. He laid down his life. And three days after his death, he rose up from the grave. And he invites you to experience life in him. And if today you want to receive that life, if today's the day you want to say, just like Nathaniel did, Rabbi, truly you are the son of God, then that invitation's extended to you. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes, let's close in prayer. If that's you, if that's where you are right now and you're ready to say yes to Jesus' invitation, you've never received him, then right there where you are, here's what the Bible calls you to do. Here's what Jesus calls you to do. He calls you to repent and believe. Repent meaning to turn from living your life your own way, from seeking to control everything, from being on the throne of your own life and surrendering that over to Jesus. Turning from your sin, your own way of living and thinking and doing and turning to your savior, Jesus, repenting, saying, Jesus, I give you my all. So right there where you are in your heart, would you say that? Say, Jesus, I'm done living my life my way. I confess my need for you. I turn to you. And then faith, belief, it's simple trust that God sent his son Jesus and Jesus the Messiah did for you what you could not do, his perfect life, his sacrificial death and his glorious resurrection has made a way so that you could be restored to your relationship with God. Would you just confess your trust in him? Jesus, I believe you did that for me. I believe you died for me. I believe all along you've seen me and I trust you with my life. Father in heaven, it's my prayer that we as a church would be a people of invitation. Lord, may we be a people that always say there's a seat at our table for another and another and another. May we reflect your heart, God, and invite many, many, many to come and to see and to experience the joy of knowing you. Help us to do that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, if you made that decision to trust in Jesus just a moment ago, and you've never put your trust in him, I just want to invite you. Yeah, let's celebrate for those who made that decision. If that was you, hear me say this. Listen, following after Jesus, it's not a solo event. It's a team sport. We do it together and we wanna share that with, with you. We wanna come alongside you. So if you made that decision today at both our campuses or online, let us know. There's a way you can do that physically on the connection card you got. Say, hey, I put my faith in Jesus for the first time. I put my trust in him. Put that, mark that box, drop it off in our offering boxes on your way out today. 
or if you're watching online, go to cityrev.org faith. Fill out that quick form. It'll take you a few seconds. And here's what's going to happen. We're going to send you a Bible. We'll give you a Bible. We'd love to help you start following after this Jesus who's changed our lives. Hey, we're going to close in worship today, singing together in song. So would you stand and let's enjoy God together as we praise Him in song. Thanks for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at cityrev.org. If you would like to speak to somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, you can email us at podcast at cityrev.org.